0: but Laura and I got the flu for Christmas. There's no return receipt for that. So we're a week into 2023, but I hope that this message is still helpful as we think about the new year together as a church. So Psalm 1 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to consider the whole psalm. Please follow along with me as we read. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church, beginning in verse 1. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord given to us for our good. Let's pray now and ask God to bless our time of considering his word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do not take it lightly that we have come into your presence to hear your word and to consider our lives in relationship to your word. It is no small thing, Father, to stand as a people before the word of God with our lives opened up by that word and by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray today, Father, that you would do a good work here. That you would convict us where we need conviction. That you would encourage us where we need encouragement. That you would strengthen us where we are weak. That you would equip us, Father, where we need your grace. Father, please give us illumination from the Holy Spirit. Please keep me from error. Please bear fruit in your church by your word for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name, confident that you hear us. Amen. Well, there's something refreshingly hopeful about a new year. In one sense, January is just another month on the calendar. There's nothing intrinsically different about the days of of January. The new year is really just a timekeeping device to keep everyone on the same chronological schedule. So in that sense, every new year is just time marching on. But in another sense, the new year can be refreshingly hopeful. The year turns over and perhaps, we think, perhaps this will be the year of change. Of course, we're all familiar with the cultural practice of making New Year's resolutions. We're probably also f- all familiar with the practice of breaking those resolutions in like seven days. But even still, even that cultural practice aside, a new year, a, a new year, a, a, the turn of the calendar does provide some sense of expectancy. Perhaps this is the year we think when things turn around. Perhaps this is the year that I change that habit or that my job really picks up. Perhaps. Perhaps this year won't be as hard as the last one. Even if it's just a timekeeping device, a new year can be refreshingly hopeful, right? Perhaps this is the year. As a pastor, my interest in the new year is entirely practical, My aim this morning, I'm going to tell you what I hope to accomplish today by God's grace, by His Holy Spirit. My aim today is to harness our hope for change and channel it towards the Word of God. I want to harness our hope for change and channel it towards the Word of God. The world harnesses the new year to emphasize physical health. I want to emphasize in the new year our spiritual health. So my aim this morning is to compel you, I want to compel you in a godly sense, to make 2023 a year of abiding in God's word, both as individual Christians and as a church. More than anything else this year, this is our one aim as a group of pastors. If you want to know what we're about this year, this is it This is the one aim. Our one aim is to see each of us go deeper in the Word of God in 2023. So if you are not regularly reading the Bible, then my aim is to compel you to begin reading it. If you occasionally read the Bible, then I want your occasional practice to become your daily habit. And if you daily read the Bible, then I want your daily habit to go deeper With a more vibrant sense of communion with God. Whatever level of engagement that you have with the Word of God, my aim today is to compel you to deepen that engagement. If you don't read, read. If you occasionally read, every day read. If you every day read, obey, believe, treasure, worship, apply. That's what I want to see happen at our church this year. Together, in 2023, Let's make this our aim, to deeply abide in God's Word. And there's no better place to pursue that aim than Psalm 1. This psalm, perhaps more than any other passage in the Bible, pictures the blessing of a life deeply rooted in God's Word. This is an incredibly rich passage of Scripture. Psalm 1 is often called the Psalm of Psalms because it introduces the entire Psalter. It's also called the Psalm of Wisdom because it has so many echoes of the book of Proverbs. And Most significantly, Psalm 1 points us to the Lord Jesus Christ who is the truly blessed man who has not walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of scoffers. So this is an incredibly rich passage. It introduces the Psalms. It communicates biblical wisdom. It points us ahead to Jesus Christ. We could spend four or five weeks in Psalm 1 and we wouldn't get to the bottom of it. But for this morning we're going to focus on just one single theme. Just a single theme. The life-changing power of meditating on the Word of God. That's what we're going to focus on today. The life-changing power of meditating on the Word of God. Psalm 1 paints a picture of life as God intended it to be. The psalm is God's call to His people. He has laid out for us this incredible life of fruitfulness. And through the psalm, He calls us to receive that fruit by rooting our lives in the stream of His Word. The life-giving water of His Word. This is life as God intended it to be. And through the psalm, He is calling you to partake in that life. So we're just, we're just one week into the new year. The newness is still there, I hope. And this is going to be our focus, this compelling picture of life as God intended it to be. Whatever level of engagement you have with the Bible, my aim today is to compel you to go deeper in that engagement. In terms of an outline, we're going to meditate on Psalm 1 from two perspectives. The first perspective considers the psalm as a whole, and we'll title this meditation, The Wisdom of God's Way. And the second perspective is going to zoom in just on verses 2 and 3. And we'll title this meditation, The Blessing of God's Word. So the wisdom of God's way and the blessing of God's word, that's where we're headed. Two meditations on Psalm 1 and life as God intended it to be. Let's begin then with the wisdom of God's way. This is the psalm as a whole, the wisdom of God's way. In its its simplest form, Psalm 1 is the story of two men who represent two very different ways to live. The two men are really nothing alike and their, their ways of life lead to drastically different ends. The first man, who is the main figure of the psalm, is called blessed. You see it there in verse 1. Blessed is the man. That translation is good, but it's probably not vivid enough for what the psalm is communicating. You could also render verse 1 how good this man has it. Look at how good this man has it. In fact, that's what stands out about the man in verse 1. His life is prosperous. There is an Eden-like quality to his days. He's like a well-watered tree in the garden when the storms of Life blow in, this man is not uprooted. He stands firm. When other people spend time with this man, they go away thinking how good it was to be with my friend. Even as the years wear on, the man in verse 1 endures. No wonder then that the psalm begins by declaring, Blessed is this man. He's living the good life. He is living life as God intended it to be. The second man, however, is far from blessed. He shows up very briefly in verses four and five. And if the first man lived in a garden of God's goodness, this second man wanders in the desert of this world. He's like one of those tumbleweeds that you see blowing across the road in the old Western movies. That's what this second man is like. He is like he just blows wherever the winds of Life take him. He's not rooted, he's not fruitful, he's not prosperous, he's not anything really. He's like chaff that the wind drives away. He's good for nothing, and he benefits no one. It's no surprise then that this this man is called wicked. He lives only for himself, so that his life is shriveled and small and counts for nothing his life is a dead end and therefore the wicked man experiences not the blessing of god but the curse of god if the first man is showing us the blessed life then the second man is picturing the doomed life this is what happens when you live contrary to the way god intended it when the day of judgment comes verse 5 this wicked man will not stand he's destroyed So, Psalm 1 tells us the story of two men living two very different lives. One blessed, one doomed. That raises the psalm's central question, what distinguishes the two men? I don't know about you, but I want the blessing, I don't want the doom. What distinguishes the two men? Where do their lives diverge? And how can we follow the blessed man's way of life? Well, if you look at the psalm as a whole, you'll notice there are two differences between the two men. One is a matter of grace, and one is a matter of faith. Verse 6 tells us the matter of grace. Look again with me, verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Friends, that is, that is Psalm 1's version of Ephesians 2.8. By grace you have been saved. That word no, in verse 6, is a relational term. It's actually a covenantal term. In His grace, God has set the first man on the road of the good life. This is important. The blessed man in Psalm 1 does not bless himself. He's like a strong tree, but trees don't plant themselves, do they? No, they're planted by someone else. And in Psalm 1, that someone else is the God of all grace. So God has plucked this first man from the road of destruction and He has planted him in the way of salvation. He has planted him in the good life. What about the second man? Well, he's been left to himself. The Lord has mercy on whom He has mercy. And in His inscrutable wisdom, God has left the second man to His own ways. And therefore, this man's life is headed to where all of our lives would go apart from God's grace. It's headed to destruction. It's headed to doom. So that's the first difference between the two men. It's a matter of grace. The second difference is a matter of faith. Verse 2 highlights this matter of faith. So look again there with me. Verse 2. Referring to the blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. To put it simply, the blessed man trusts in God's word. That's why he's blessed. He's not conformed to this world, as verse 1 so vividly describes. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He's not captive to the world's way of thinking. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He's not acting in league with the ungodly. And he doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. He's not giving the world his attention and his allegiance The the blessed man trusts in the word of the Lord. Verse 2 mentions the law of the Lord, but you have to remember that the law in the Psalms, when the Psalms refer to the law of the Lord, it means more than the books of Moses. The law of the Lord is the sum of God's instruction in its totality. It's the cumulative expression of God's wisdom for life and godliness. And that's where the blessed man puts his trust. In the word and wisdom of God. He delights in God's word. Which means he relishes it. He treasures it. He esteems it as valuable. And therefore he meditates on God's word day and night. That doesn't mean that he's literally thinking about scripture at all moments of the day. That would be unrealistic in the Bible. It's never unrealistic. Instead verse 2 simply means that it's an active embrace of and submission to all that God has said. That's what it means to daily meditate on God's Word. You actively remember and submit to everything that God has said. So in every situation, the blessed man of Psalm 1 asks himself, what is the way in which God would have me walk? And how do I follow it? That's what it means to meditate day and night. It means you constantly take your life and you hold it up to the straight edge of the bible and you say where is god's word calling me to submit to him that's the key point i want to draw out to you at this moment the blessed man trusts in god's word he believes that god's word is right and good and his life is anchored in that road uh, in that word that's why he's on the road Of the good life. Because God's word leads to blessing. He trusts in the word of God. But again. The wicked man. Could not be more different. Notice that there is no mention of the law of the Lord. In connection with the wicked man. There is no mention of God's law. God's word is absent. From the description of his life. And that is the point. That is the danger zone. Of the psalm. There is no mention of God's. Wisdom, God's word, God's way, God's law with the wicked man. The wicked man does not live by faith in God's word. He lives by faith in himself. His wisdom, his counsel, his ways, his ideas. That's why the wicked man is at home in the world. Because that's where he walks and sits and stands. To use verse 1's language. The wicked man trusts in himself. And therefore he's bound for destruction. Friends, it's this matter of faith that demands our attention. If we want to live the good life as God intended, then we must devote ourselves to the the Word of the Lord. This is the wisdom of walking in God's ways. If we want to experience the blessing of God, life as God intended it to be, then we have to root ourselves in the Word of the Lord. Over the years, one consistent feature that I have noticed... Is that the most content, joyful, and fruitful Christians are the ones who have the deepest connection to the Scriptures? And I don't don't simply mean that they know more about the Bible than anybody else. The devil knows a lot about the Bible, but he hates it. So I don't mean that these people simply know a lot of Bible facts, I mean they feed on the Scriptures. The way that a hungry person feeds on a delicious meal. They don't just nibble on the Bible a little bit. They don't don't just snack on the scriptures. They feast on scripture regularly, faithfully, obediently. That's the image of Psalm 1 this meditating and feasting on God's word. And according to Psalm 1, that's the wise way to live, for that's the path of God's wisdom in this world. Wisdom that leads to blessing. This is the wisdom of God's way. That foundational contrast between those two men, the blessed man and the doomed man, that foundational contrast leads us to our second meditation. There's only one wise way to live, that's to trust in the word of the Lord. So we're going to zoom in for a moment here on verses 3 and 4. And we're going to notice the blessing of God's word. We just saw the wisdom of God's way. Now we want to think for a moment about the blessing of God's word. When we meditate upon the law of the Lord day and night, as Psalm 1 teaches us to do, what happens in our lives? What happens when we trust in and meditate upon God's word? Well, in verse 3... There are four blessings in particular that we ought to note. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. There's four particular blessings, four things that happen to us when we meditate upon the word of God. Blessing number one, the word of the Lord gives us the blessing of knowing God. It's the blessing of knowing God. This might be very easy to overlook in Psalm 1, but this is where we have to start. Above all, the greatest blessing of delighting in God's word is that we come to know God in a deeper way. Ultimately, this is why the man in Psalm 1 is blessed, because he knows God and is known by God. Why do I bring this up? This seems like a very basic point, so why do I mention mention this here? Here's why. There is a very... Subtle kind of familiarity that can seep into the Christian life. And this familiarity robs us of the wonder that is the Bible. The Bible is not primarily a source of information or facts. The Bible is not primarily an instruction manual for how you ought to live. The Bible is not primarily a textbook on doctrine. The Bible is primarily, the revelation of God. Through the Bible, the living God gives Himself to us so that every act of reading Scripture is a moment of grace. Remember this, brothers and sisters. When you read the Scriptures, you hear the voice of God. The same voice that spoke creation into being. When you read the Scriptures, you see the character of God. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you read the Scriptures in faith... You are communing with the God of the universe. It's not merely religious duty. It is communion with God. And when you do this over the long haul, day after day, month after month, year after year, something remarkable happens. When you give yourself to the word of God, over the long haul, something remarkable happens. You become like the God you behold. You are changed and transformed. God, by His Spirit and through His Word, shapes your life to look like Him. Friends, is there any blessing greater than that? No, there's not. The greatest blessing of delighting in God's Word is not that we learn facts or information or doctrine. The greatest blessing is that we know God. And to know God is to have life. I remember when I first started reading the Bible for myself, it was March of 2001. I was in college. I had grown up in the church, but I had never actually read the Bible on my own. I mean, I knew a lot about the Bible, but I hadn't actually ever read it in order to say, like, what, what does this mean, and how should I live? So I picked up the Bible, and I started to read it. And guess what happened? It was utterly overwhelming. <laughs> I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what was going on most of the time. I was lost. And so a wiser Christian gave me some help. He said, in every passage that you read identify one characteristic of God and write it down. So I started to do that. When I would read the Bible, I would just say, what is one thing that I learn about God from this passage? And I would write that down. I didn't always know the context. I didn't know the the difference between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. I didn't know the difference between justification and sanctification. I didn't always know what was going on, and I still got lost in all of the background but do you know what I did, I did see when I was reading? I saw God. I saw God, who He was, what He's like, what He loves. And so I simply started writing down God is statements in my notebook. So every passage of the Bible that I would read, I would write down something like, God is faithful. God is jealous. God is holy. God is merciful. Again, I wasn't always sure what those characteristics meant. But that was okay because I was seeing the character of God. And over time, over time, that character of God began to reshape my own character. Perhaps, perhaps that would be helpful to you this year. At the start of the sermon, I said, if you're not reading the Bible, I want you to start reading it. Or if that if you're only occasionally reading it, I want you to regularly read it. And maybe you thought to yourself at that moment, but I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Start here. Start here. Pick a book of the Bible, begin reading it, and as you read, just look for what is true about God. Just write down what you learn about God. The knowledge of God is so wonderfully powerful that He will not leave you as you are. The knowledge of who He is will change you so that your life over time looks more and more like His. That's the first blessing of meditating on God's Word. It's the blessing of knowing God. Blessing number two. The blessing of rootedness. Psalm 1 shows us the blessing of rootedness. Notice the imagery the psalmist uses in verse 3 to describe the blessed man. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. I love that word planted. The man who delights in God's word lives with a sense of rootedness. When the winds of trouble blow against him, he does not topple over. Why not? Because his roots go down deep into the word of God. He's planted. He's rooted. He doesn't get tossed to and fro. But we need to be clear on this. This rootedness is entirely a function of the word of the Lord. The man is not holding himself in place. It's the word of the Lord that holds him steady in the, sto- in the storm. He's rooted because of the word of the Lord. You see, far too often we tend to assume that strength equals self-sufficiency. So we tell ourselves that a strong Christian is self-reliant and independent. But friends, that's the wrong picture of spiritual maturity. That's the wrong idea of spiritual strength. Jesus Christ was the strongest man who ever lived. And where did He turn in His moment of temptation? Matthew chapter 4. He turned to God's Word and quoted Deuteronomy. Jesus Christ was the strongest man who ever lived. And where did He turn during His darkest hour on the cross as the wrath of God was poured out upon Him and He bore the sins of His people? Where did Jesus turn? He turned to the Word of God, quoting Psalm 22. Friends, if that was true for the Lord Jesus, how much more true... Is it for us? We don't hold ourselves firm. It's the word of the Lord that holds us fast. It's the word of God that gives us strength and roots our faith in God's character. So we may grow significantly in our faith, but we will never outgrow our need for God's word. Ever. In fact, you could say that the clearest evidence of spiritual strength is increasing dependence upon Scripture. When we, live, when we meditate on God's word, we live with this sense of rootedness because the word itself is holding us firm. One more thing that we should note about this sense of rootedness. It develops over time. It's not immediately experienced. Here's what I mean. God most often uses his word today To prepare us for the storm that will come tomorrow. Or even years down the road. Sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll say, I've been reading the Bible regularly and nothing is happening in my life. Nothing's happening. So why should I keep reading it? That's a good question. But it's important to remember that reading the scriptures regularly is like an investment. Or a down payment on an investment account. You make the deposits today because you're going to have to draw on them later. And if you wait till that moment of crisis, if you wait till that moment to start making deposits in the account of faith, there's not going to be anything there to draw on. If you want to be able to draw on that account of faith when the moment of trial comes, if you want to be able to live with a sense of rootedness, you have to make the investment today. God uses his word today to prepare us for the trials that will most often come tomorrow. So if we want to stand firm during the next trial of life, then we have to take up God's Word and read today. That's how the roots of faith grow strong. Day by day, week by week, little by little, as God roots us deeper in His Word. That's the second blessing. Blessing number three, the blessing of fruitfulness. Psalm 1 shows us the blessing of fruitfulness. Again, look at verse 3, where you can hear this note of fruitfulness. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And then the end of the verse emphasizes it again, but with even stronger language. In all that he does, he prospers. Remember, the Psalms were written in ancient Israel, which is a pretty dry climate. It would not have been unusual then for Israelites to know the difficulty of maintaining fruitful trees. And the imagery here, it would be purposeful. The man of Psalm 1 is planted by streams of water. And therefore, this man is fruitful. He's not withering under the scorching heat of the sun. This man is thriving because he delights himself in God's Word. This is part of God's grace in His Word. Through the Scriptures, God produces in us... What he expects of us. God bears that fruit in us through his word. I don't know any Christian, I don't know any Christian who is satisfied with the level of spiritual fruit that's being born in their life. I'm not satisfied with mine. I want to see more fruit for the glory of God and for the good of others being born in my life. I want to see less doubt, less sin. Less pride. I want to see more faith, more love, more mercy, more goodness. I don't know any Christian who's satisfied with the level of fruitfulness in their life. And friends, what we have to see from Psalm 1 is that that kind of fruit is only born through our connection with God's Word. If you are not regularly taking in God's Word, then you shouldn't expect to see that kind of fruit. We will not bear the fruit that God expects of us apart from His Word working in us. Of course, God can work however He would like. He's the sovereign God. He can do whatever He would like. But most often, God works through means. And what this psalm is telling us is that God's greatest means for producing fruit is dependence upon His Word. Ongoing, increasing dependence upon His Word that leads to fruitfulness fruitfulness. There's another aspect here that deserves some attention. This might sound like a silly question, but it helps make the point. For whom does a tree bear fruit? For whom does a tree bear fruit? Well, it's not for itself. Trees never enjoy their own fruit. Trees bear fruit for others. And so it is for Christians. As we take in God's word... The Lord brings fruit in our lives so that we in turn will bless other people. This too should drive us to the scriptures in faith. Even when we don't feel like reading the Bible, we think of others and we read for their sake. Even when we don't experience much fruit for ourselves, we think of others and how God has called us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we take up God's word and read. Listen, I I can't be the husband, father, Christian, pastor that God expects me to be apart from his word. I can't. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. And he means that literally. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I can't be the person God has called me to be apart from the word of the Lord. And you know what? The reality of that drives me to the scriptures. It drives me to take up God's word and read. Because it's not just about me and my spiritual growth, it's about those I'm called to love and care for as well. And so, we ought to read the Bible in faith, trusting that God would bear fruit, not solely for us, but through us, for others as well. That's the blessing of fruitfulness. Fourth and final blessing from this psalm, it's the blessing of endurance. Psalm 1 shows us the blessing of endurance. Notice the middle line in verse 3. Talking about the tree that's planted by streams of water. Its leaf does not wither, the psalmist says. Derek Kidner, in his insightful commentary, says that the leaf's immunity from withering is not independence of the rhythm of the seasons, but freedom from the crippling damage of drought. In his wisdom, God has ordained that life is marked by something akin to seasons. I wish somebody would have told me this when I first became a Christian. When I first became a Christian, I just thought, well, it's all onward and upward from here. Everything's going to be like spring all the time. What comes after spring? Summer, where the heat of life saps the spiritual strength that's often found in your life. God has ordained that the Christian life is, moves like something akin to seasons. There are spring-like seasons where things grow and fruit is born. And there are summer-like seasons where the heat is hot. And we feel the temptation to wither. I know as a Christian it's easy to prefer those spring-like seasons where faith just grows easily. We probably all have fond memories of times when our faith grew abundantly. Those spring-like seasons are just one of life's seasons. The normal Christian life follows an established rhythm. Spring followed by summer. Growth followed by trial. Fruit followed by difficulty. How can I endure those different seasons as a Christian? Only by remaining connected to the word of the Lord. Its leaf does not wither, the psalmist says. Why not? Because he meditates on God's law day and night. There will be seasons of trial that are going to come against you. There will be seasons where it feels like God hides his face from you. Feels like. There will be seasons where it seems even that God withdraws his hand of blessing. How do you endure those seasons? Only by meditating on God's word today. So that the leaf of your faith does not wither when the lean times come. God often uses those seasons of growth to store up faith so that we can endure the lean times in the future. This is one of the great blessings of Scripture. Through the Word of God, we endure. We endure. And therefore, we take in God's Word day by day, week by week, month by month, year after year, because we know that today's meditation on God's Word could very well be the means of grace That provides faith for tomorrow. Let's put all these pieces together in a summary. What's the blessing of God's word in the life of a believer? It's the blessing of knowing God. It's the blessing of rootedness. We're not tossed to and fro. It's the blessing of fruitfulness. God produces in us what he expects of us. And it's the blessing of endurance. We don't wither. When the next trial comes, all of those are wonderful gifts, friends. All of them are wonderful gifts. Those are incredible blessings. And God gives you those blessings through His Word. So it's a new year, and new years can be refreshingly hopeful. The calendar turns over and it feels like a reset, and we have the opportunity to ask where do I want to grow? How do I want to change? My prayer is that in 2023, both individually and as a church, we would go deeper in the Word of God. The blessings are innumerable. What we've seen today is only a fraction. So the closing application, I've already told you, it's the whole sermon. The closing application is to take up God's Word and read. Read. Read it prayerfully, asking God to give you insight. Read it faithfully. Remembering that the long haul is more important than the individual moments. Read it expectantly, trusting that God's word is living and active, that it doesn't return to him void, that it's a light to your feet and a lamp to your path. And read it together with other believers so that their experience of God in his word encourages your faith and vice versa. Friends, there's not one right way to take in Scripture. You could read it in the morning time or in the evening or when your kids are taking a nap. You could read it or you could listen to it. You could read the whole Bible through in a year or you could just pick one book for each month and read until you've read all of them. You can write things down while you read. You can take a walk and meditate while you read. Whatever the format, whatever the circumstances, the important piece is taking it in. You will not grow as God wants you to grow apart from His Word. We have the time, all of us. We have the need, all of us. And now we have a compelling picture to carry us along in the pursuit. So 2023, speaking on behalf of all of the elders, what do we want you to be about? Going deeper in the Word of God. Taking it in day by day, expectantly, prayerfully, faithfully. And our prayer is that through through that deepening communion with God in his word, God would bear the fruit in us that brings glory to his name. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would help us. That you would cause us to grow, Father, in dependence upon your word. And through that dependence, we would see fruit born in us and in our church for the glory of your name. We pray, Father, that we would know you more, and in knowing you, we would become like you. We pray, Father, that we would live with rootedness, not tossed to and fro by the craziness of this age, but rooted firmly in the unchanging truth of Scripture. We pray, Father, for spiritual fruit that brings you glory, and we pray for endurance, that we would not see our faith shipwrecked by the next storm of difficulty, but instead, Father, that we would hold firm knowing that you hold us steady through your word. Lord, help us to live life as you intended it to be, meditating day and night on the law of the Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.